Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Pastor Tom Goodman begins a new sermon series called Getting Along. today with a message titled, Tame Your Anger. Now, an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Well, today we begin a new series called Getting Along. It's a look at eight biblical solutions to conflict. And I actually began this series actually over a decade ago, preparing for it. At that time, it wasn't in preparation for a sermon series. At that time, it was just my own personal devotional study. I began to notice how many stories in the Bible are about interpersonal conflict. And I thought what would be a good thing to do is just kind of read through the Bible, scan through the Bible, and when I landed on one of those stories or some instruction about dealing with conflict, that would be my Bible study for the day. And uh, I would ask that passage, th- uh, that, uh, ask of that passage three questions. I would say, how, how uh, did these people enter into conflict? What started it? What were the consequences that resulted from it? And, and how did it get solved? And you can imagine going through just a personal devotional time like that was uh, a, a really edifying time because all throughout the Bible, there are these stories of interpersonal conflict, family quarrels and church fights and people who uh, didn't treat their leaders right and leaders who abused their position and problems between friends and so on. The Bible's a book of stories, and most of those stories are about interpersonal conflict. Now, that really shouldn't surprise you, right? Because that's true in our own lives as well. I, uh, I know if you talk with a car insurance salesperson, they will tell you that, uh, not surprisingly, the place where most of the accidents take place are at intersections. And that's true not only in driving, it's also true in life. It's where your life intersects with another person's life that conflict can arise. Where are those intersections? Those intersections between people are found in families, in churches, in businesses, in neighborhoods, in clubs. Wherever your life intersects with another person's life, there's a high likelihood that somewhere along the way, there's going to be a collision. There's going to be a crash. And so we can all benefit from looking at the Bible's solutions to conflict. And we're going to start today with solution number one, which is tame your anger. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I read a newspaper report a few years ago about a woman, they named her name in the newspaper, but for reasons that will become obvious, I won't repeat her name here, but uh, in, this, uh, in, in this newspaper report, this woman grew angrier and angrier because her downstairs neighbor was playing his music too loud. And finally she'd had enough and she yelled down to him with all kinds of choice words, and he just replied by goading her, using a broom handle to strike his ceiling, which was her floor. And in a rage, she was so frustrated, she leapt up in the air so that she could land down on the floor with both feet, and immediately she had to call 911 because she had broken both legs four inches below the knee. Now the moral of this story is, when you lose your temper, you don't have a leg to stand on. (laughs) 
David needed, King David needed help with out of control rage at one point. This was actually a time before he became king. We know him as one of the most beloved characters in the Bible. And he was a shepherd boy, and, and then he was a freedom fighter, and then he became king. Well, it was in 1 Samuel chapter 25, in the days before he became king, when he was living out in the wilderness, he, was, uh, he had this band of, of men around him. Like I said, you could call them freedom fighters, and they spent their days protecting Israelite farmers from uh, the raids of foreigners. And there was one particular time when uh, he went to uh, a farmer and a rancher named Nabal and uh, uh, asked for some supplies for himself and for his men. And uh, Nabal replied in a very rude way to him, saying, who are you? I don't have any obligation to you. And David was enraged at this point, and he said to his men, strap on your swords, boys. We're going after this man. Uh, before the sun sets, I'm going to kill him and every male in his household. We've been protecting him, and he's grown fat and happy behind our protection. And we just asked for some few simple supplies, and he won't even give us one sheep. He is going to die today. Now, does that surprise you to hear that this was an incident in David's life? I mean, we know, most of us know David only by the Psalms. I mean, here, he was a poet. He, he loved to write about nimble deer and gentle sheep and quiet waters and night skies. The Old Testament has this phrase, David was a man after God's own heart. The New Testament has a phrase that summarizes his life. David served God in his generation, and then he died. And yet... This one who is in such a, regarded in such a way as beloved was one who in 1 Samuel chapter 25 let rage get the best of him. If a wise woman named Abigail had not intervened in his life, he would have done something disastrous even before he rose to the throne and became king. Now this story convicts me because no matter how much we love God, no matter how gentle we think we are, no matter how spiritually mature we think we've become, Anger can still have those moments where it gets the best of us. The good news is the Bible is a great anger management manual. And we're going to look today at some principles we need to learn to deal with this issue in our life. Now, anger comes in many forms. I mean, there's the obvious kind when two dads get into a fist fight on their kid's soccer sideline. You know, that's the obvious thing. And, and we think as long as we stop short of that, we're okay. And yet, look at the range of words that Paul uses to speak about anger here. I read somewhere where uh, Eskimos have like 25 different words for snow. We just have one word for snow, uh-oh. But, but in, in, there's these 25 different words. Why? Because they, they're occupied with it all the time. Think about how many different words we have to speak of our car or our automobile or our ride. You know, we, we have a lot of words. Why? Because we think about it a lot. The Apostle Paul must have known that this was a big issue for people because he had a whole range of words at his vocabulary, at his command to be able to talk about this issue. So look at this again, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32. This is the passage I began with. Get rid of all of this, he says. Here you go. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, every form of malice. Now, Paul, you could, you could gather those words into four categories Paul speaks of four categories of anger here. So write these down on your sermon notes. First of all, anger expressed too quickly. Anger expressed too quickly. He uses words to describe open anger, especially the word we translate brawling or quarreling. Now that must have been what King Solomon had in mind when he wrote so many of his Proverbs. 
Proverbs chapter 14, verse 17 says, a quick-tempered man does foolish things. The anger we're talking about here is the anger that rises up quickly and suddenly. Somebody says something that insults you and immediately you're in a rage. Or you show up in your office first thing Monday morning and unexpectedly the, the higher-ups have cut your budget by 20% and, and the shouting starts. And God's Word tells us that this anger expressed too quickly will make us do foolish things. I read about a businessman one time. He was in the hotel industry. And he worked behind the, uh, the desk in the lobby. And he got so tired of the rage that customers felt free to just express to him. In his words, they were expecting five-star treatment and an, uh, for Motel 6 prices. And when that didn't come about, you know, they, they didn't just express their discontent or their dissatisfaction. They were just sort of spitting rage at him. And one time he, he just kind of separated from the scene and he just looked at the rage and he looked at the contortion of the person's face and he said, I wonder if this person knows how ridiculous they, they look. And then it dawned on him, maybe I can help. And so he, he got a giant mirror and he put it on the wall behind his lobby desk. And then the next time that somebody showed up and the time after that and the time after that different customers showed up and wanted to start expressing their just fits of rage at him, they saw themselves in the mirror. They saw what they looked like and it caused them to calm down and speak in a more reasonable way to him. Just that one little change in the workplace. Imagine what that would do for you if every time we just sort of cut loose and rage at uh, somebody in the service industry, for example, we could see what we looked like. We had a mirror and we could see what we looked like. I think that would correct a number of things, right? Now, open rage is typically the only thing we think of when we think of anger. And we think as long as we should, uh, stop short of that, we're fine. But there are some other categories for anger here. Here's another one, anger expressed too late. So anger expressed too quickly, that's wrong, but anger expressed too late, that's wrong as well. Paul uses words here in Ephesians 4 that speak not only of open anger, but a continuing, simmering, internal, hostile attitude. So he uses words we describe, what we translate as bitterness and malice. A person caught up in this kind of anger harbors resentment, keeps score, continually feeds a personal resentment. Now, if the truth be known, this is probably the anger that most of us have as Christians because we know the other anger we just talked about, that's wrong. And so we, we, we recognize that. But as long as we don't express it, we're okay, right? Well, not according to this passage. If we have malice inside, that's an internal thought, that's an attitude. If we have bitterness, that's wrong. We, we need to see that this anger is just as damaging as anger that's expressed openly. In fact, I imagine most of our broken relationships are because of this. You know, our marriage partner insults us at a party and we don't say anything about it because as Christians we think we're not supposed to express anger, but we never forget it. Or we have a boss who humiliates us in front of our, our coworkers and, and, and we're, we're filled with rage about it. We don't say anything about it and we think we're okay, but inside there is this this uh, unforgiveness, there's this resentment. We need to recognize that as anger that is expressed too late. God never told us to repress our anger. God never told us to become passive aggressive. Ephesians chapter four, verse 26 says this, be angry and yet do not sin. So apparently the apostle Paul recognized that there was such a thing as sin-free anger. Now admittedly, this is a very 
dangerous subject to talk about because most of us, when we're in the midst of anger, think that we're involved in sin-free anger, and we're probably not. But we do need to recognize that when we're frustrated, when we're disappointed, when we're angry, and we express it in a way that is reconciling, we express it in a way that is edifying, we express it in a way that is relationship building, this is sin-free anger. And we need to be ready to deal with that. Now we're going to talk about how to do that in just a moment, but let's look at two more wrong kinds of anger. Let's lay them all out on the table here in Ephesians chapter 4. So here's the third thing to write down. Anger expressed without a reason. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, Paul uses two words that speak of the sort of uncontrollable, irrational quality of anger that some people have. He, he uses words that we translate anger and rage. They're the words orge and thumos. And so we, we have the word thumos, which has to do with temperature, with heat. So Paul is using these words that speak about anger expressed without a reason. And I would have to say that many of us would have to acknowledge that many times when we express our anger, we think we have a reason, but really all we have is an excuse. Uh, somebody said one time, well, that's just the way I am. I'm, I'm, I'm just temperamental, which led somebody to say that when you hear somebody say that, their anger is 95% temper and only 5% mental, you know? We need to recognize that a lot of times we're looking for an excuse for our anger uh, and we don't really have a reason for it. Here's number four, anger expressed without grace. Anger expressed without grace. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, Paul uses the word blasphemia, and it's translated slander here. Now, it's interesting that the English word blasphemy comes from the Greek word blasphemia. But when we use the word blasphemy, what are we, what's, what's the context usually? We're usually talking about criticism against God belittling words, insulting words against God. That's blasphemy. But in this passage, Paul uses the word blasphemia and he's talking about criticism and insults against human beings. But if you think about it, there's still a consistency here, right? Criticism and, and insults against God or criticism and insults against God's image. Isn't it all blasphemy? Isn't everybody made in the image of God? We all want people to think of us as made in the image of God. But the people we're frustrated with are made in the image of God as well. We need to make sure that we're not slandering their character, that we're not belittling them, that we're not being insulting. We need to make sure that anger expressed without grace is out of our lives too. So our, our main passage today just piles up all these words, one on top of the other, and says, get rid of it all. Throw it all out of your life. Don't let any version or variety of this be something that is part of your life. And then verse 32 goes on to say, be kind and compassionate and forgiving. Literally, you could translate the verb there, become kind and compassionate and forgiving. And that is so encouraging to me because that lets me know that anger management is a process. We're all from time to time going to like, like David got in 1 Samuel chapter 25. And we need to recognize that, that those outbursts aren't who we are always going to be if we can pay attention to God's anger management manual. So become kind and compassionate and forgiving. It's not something maybe we always are, but it's something we can become. Now in practical terms, how can we live out Ephesians chapter four, verses 31 and 32 this week? Let me suggest eight ways real quickly. The first four are immediate action steps and the last four are maintenance steps. So we're gonna go through these quickly. First of all, slow your reactions. When you were a kid, did your coach or your parents tell you to count to 10 when you started feeling angry? What were they doing? They were telling you to slow your reactions. 
So why have we forgotten that good advice now that we've become teenagers or we've become adults? Maybe that old book is right. All that I ever really needed to know, I learned in kindergarten. We need to remember to count to 10, to slow our reactions. Let's take a look at some verses. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 16 says, when a fool is annoyed, he quickly lets it be known. Smart people will, will ignore an insult. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 32 says, it's better to be patient than powerful. It's better to win control over yourself than over whole cities. In other words, count to 10 when you feel the heat of anger rising up. There's some more Proverbs on your outline. I mean, the Bible just really hammers this home in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 20, verse 3, any fool can start arguments. The honorable thing to do is stay out of them. Proverbs 18, verse 6, a fool gets into constant fights. His mouth is his undoing. His words endanger him. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, if you're sensible, you will control your temper. When someone wrongs you, it's a great virtue to ignore it. All these Proverbs are telling us the wisdom of counting to 10 before we express ourselves. There's a second thing to write down. Take time for reflection. Take time for reflection. In Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, Nehemiah is the governor, and he tells us a, a very revealing thing. Now, we won't go into all the details, but the, but the governor was given responsibility for the land and rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem and getting the temple built again. And in the course of doing this important work, he finds something that really disturbs him. He finds that the wealthier people of the land are exploiting and taking advantage of the people who are poor. And this made him angry, and certainly it ought to make him angry as governor. And so he reported, look at this, Nehemiah chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, I was very angry when I heard this, so after thinking about it, I spoke out. Now I want you to circle very, four very important words. After thinking about it, I spoke out. And, and, and so why was that important to him? I mean, wasn't it absolutely right? Wasn't it absolutely righteous? Don't we have plenty of verses in the Bible that tell us that when we find the powerful exploiting the weaker, that we ought to do something about it? Why did he need to think about it? Well, what tax should he take? Where was his own heart in the process? I mean, you've heard the phrase today, virtue signaling. Are there a lot of people on social media that signal how virtuous they are? by some self-assured statement that they make about injustice or whatever. And, and so you can be smug, you can be arrogant as you deal with something that's absolutely right and you feel you've got cover because what you're dealing with is, is right to deal with. And, and so he draws aside, he doesn't just, ta doesn't just count to 10, he draws aside and processes through. Why is he angry about this? What ought to be done about it? What's the most productive way to accomplish this? after thinking about it. Now he didn't go away and think about it so he could talk himself out of dealing with it. That's what some of us do and some of us feel that we need to do. In this instance there was something that had to be dealt with as governor, but he had to think about how he was to approach it and we need to do this as well. Over 2,000 years ago the Greek philosopher Aristotle said this in his book on rhetoric. He said anybody can become angry, that is easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree at the right time for the right purpose in the right way, that is not within everybody's power. That is not so easy. So we need to take time to think about it. Number three, settle the issue quickly. Slowing your reaction time down and going away to think about it for a while, that doesn't mean that you just leave it unresolved for some indeterminate time in the future. You need to settle the matter quickly. 
Proverbs chapter 17, verse 14 says, The start of an argument is like the first break in a dam. Stop it before it goes any further. Ephesians 4, verse 26 says, Be angry and yet do not sin. How do you do this? Well, one reason is, don't let the sun go down on your anger. So we need to make sure that there is this timeliness uh, with which we approach certain things that frustrate us or disappoint us. Number four, decide to forgive. Here is a step toward reducing anger. Decide to forgive. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, when Paul says to get rid of all anger and rage and slander, he said we're to forgive others, look at this, just as God in Christ forgave you. You know, it's hard to forgive a frustration. It's hard to forgive an insult. But we just simply need to go to the cross and look at what God did for us. We did not deserve God's kindness any more than that person who has become our enemy deserves our kindness. And yet God showed kindness to us. And so we are under this obligation to, to mimic him, to copy him. We want to be like Jesus. And Jesus was one who at a great cost to himself extended forgiveness and reconciliation to us. Now, as I said, the first four steps are immediate action steps. The last four steps are more what you'd call maintenance steps, things that can keep you from uh, becoming angry in the future, keep you from resorting to that as immediate first step. So here's the next one. Number five, avoid an angry mindset. Now, this is a requirement for believers. We like to think that um, a business-like attitude is sort of this real-world, hard, cynical, sort of suspicious approach to other people and to other uh, and to other relationships, but that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that, yeah, we ought to have a realistic understanding of the harm that somebody can do to our lives or, or the inadvertent ways that they can frustrate us and that kind of thing, but, but we need to also maintain this hopeful attitude that our situation can change, that people can change. And that's why we have in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, this word, fix your thoughts on what is true and good and right. Think about things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine good things in others. Think about all you can praise God for and be glad about. So just as you ought to avoid an angry mindset, here's the next one, avoid angry people. This is the next thing to write down, avoid angry people. Proverbs chapter, 24 verses, uh, chapter 22, verses 24 and 25 tell us, don't make friends with people who have hot, violent tempers. You might learn their habits and not be able to change. Way back when um, Billy Martin, I think it was, wrote his autobiography called Number One, he told about hunting in Texas with his friend Mickey Mantle. And Mickey had a friend who uh, they hoped would let them hunt on his ranch. And when they reached the ranch, Mickey told uh, Billy to stay in the car. He was going to go in the house and ask if they could hunt on his ranch. And Mantle's friend inside the house quickly gave gave them permission to hunt, but he said, I've got a favor for you since you're here and you have your weapon. I, I've got this favorite mule, pet mule, and he's old and he's feeble and he needs to be put down, but I just can't, I just can't put him down. Can you do this for me? And you spend the rest of the day hunting on my ranch. And Martin said that he would do that, or Mickey Mantle said he would do that. Uh, but when he went back to the car where Billy Martin was, he said, I'm gonna have some fun with this. So he pretended to be angry. He got in, he slammed the door, and he said, that old cuss, he won't let us hunt on his ranch. After all these favors I've done for him, I tell you what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to shoot that mule of his in the barn. And so he goes up to the barn, he gets out of the car, grabs his shotgun, and goes into the barn, 
bam, he brings that mule down. And right at that moment, he hears two more shots. He runs outside of the barn, and his friend says, there, I got two of his cows. Let's get out of here. So. Now, I don't know if that really happened or not, but that was a fun story in his autobiography of Billy Martin. We can learn from other people. We can kind of catch it like a contagion. Their constant anger, their constant rage. The Bible tells us to be careful about that. Don't avoid, uh, just avoid angry mindset, avoid angry people. Number seven, grow spiritually. Like I said, this is a maintenance step, but grow spiritually. The Bible tells us that anger and hostility, these are, these are things of our old nature. And our old nature is dying. It's not dead yet, but it's, it's dying. And that belongs to an old way of life. And, and so the Bible tells us that the more we allow ourselves to be controlled by God's Spirit, the more we'll start seeing certain fruit come from our lives. And it's the opposite in this case of anger and laziness and, and other types of things that belong to the old nature. So I copied a portion of Galatians chapter 5 into your outline. Take a look at this. What human nature does is quite plain. People become enemies and they fight. They become angry. They separate into parties and groups. But the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, humility, and self-control. See the qualities that show up when you're letting yourself be controlled by God's Spirit? And so we go through our lives and we're inconsistent with this, right? We, we, we let God control us at some moment and then we kind of take over the mastery of our lives at other moments or we give God access to certain uh, parts of our lives but not at other parts of our lives but this passage says as we're giving the spirit control the outcome the product of that will be all this this glorious God glorifying fruit and finally here's an eighth step I want you to write down trust the providence of God trust the providence of God and this will bring you into a place where you find yourself not experiencing that kind of anger that David experienced in 1 Samuel chapter 25, or at least not so much. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now this passage does not mean that what we have to do is know that since God's going to work good out of injustice, since God's going to work good out of the way people harm us, that we just never need to address it, we never need to deal with it. That's not the way, that's not, that's not the way we use this verse when we run across it. But we do know to trust that even as we're trying to work with this situation and deal with this situation, God's in charge. And God is going to use even that which is unjust, that which is difficult, that which is frustrating, for His glory. And then, therefore, if that's true, we can approach everything that we deal with in life with a greater grace, a greater patience, and a greater optimism, looking for how God's going to work in that situation. The point through all of this is that God's book, the Bible, is a great anger management manual. And we need to look at it. And we need to look at it because, like I said earlier, God first reached out to us. God first loved us. God first forgave us and set things right with us. And, and so as we practice all of these things, yeah, does it make us better citizens? Sure. Does it make us better co-workers at work? Absolutely. Does it make home life sweeter? Sure. But the real reason to do all of this is because God reconciled us to Him. And so the way that we show our gratitude to Him is we mimic that, we imitate that in the way we live our lives. And that way people around us can see God in us the God who reconciled us to him. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to
Help us to put all this into practice. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this series through various stories and various passages in the Bible that help us understand how to get along in our families and how to get along at work and how to get along in our clubs, how to get along long-term in our friendships, how to get along at church, how to long, get along in our nation. Lord, we ask that you would help us to put these things into practice, not just so that people will speak well of us, although that's, that's a good goal to have, but we pray that you would help us to put these things into practice because it's the way we reflect you. It's the way we show that we really do understand what you've done for us in reconciling us to, to you and forgiving us at the cross of Jesus. And I also pray for those who have yet to say yes to Jesus. There are folks in here, folks listening online who have studied about Jesus. Maybe they've attended church for a while and, and, and yet they've never crossed the line of faith. They've never said, Jesus, come into my life and be my forgiver and my leader. And, and so, Lord, I pray that you will knock so persuasively and call out so sweetly uh, on the outside of the, of the door of, the, of, of their hearts that they would say yes to you today and that they, having experienced your reconciliation and your forgiveness, can then start putting these things into practice that we aspire to put into practice. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman shares a message titled, Think Win Win. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.